Okay. So I walked back through that garden and I didn't have a desire or need to pick a single blossom. <laughs> I thought I could have and Amy would welcome it. I looked at the, the uh, tall, what are they called, the hollyhocks, which are one of the ch flowers of my childhood. I thought, we could pick one and put it here. And I thought, no, we're just going to leave it right on the vine. <laughs> I was aware, this is the same woman who stole all those flowers. And here's the entire resplendent garden where Amy would welcome it. And not one of them has to be picked. They can just be <laughs> left there for heaven and for all of us. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, let's see if there are questions about things. And then I'm just going to go into that once again for briefly into that point of that water into wine when you're dealing with other people and with yourself and uh, bring a couple concepts for it again. <clears throat> There's some ways to be with that. And uh, it's just going on in the human race, this, this movement. So we'll come back to that. But are there questions that you have about anything? Because we ranged all over with about eight or ten you points. You said in the very beginning that if we were in a ship, we'd be headed for the Rocky Shoals. And then you talked about... Um, maybe it was in reference to something else, and I'm, tr I'm feeling mm -hmm. conflicted between that and like coming out of this stage. Where yeah. <clears throat> you know what I'm talking. Okay, about. Okay, so as a grandmother, as a mo as a as a human being, and a woman, and a widow, and a woman who's owned horses and land, and so many nuances of how you have known and loved life, right? And uh, as a mother and a grandmother. Your allegiance is in a singular way of a path, but what would you do if we were headed to a rocky shoal and all of your family was aboard the sailing ship? So it's just it's been like change. yeah. So we were at a point where if we'd headed toward a world war, <clears throat> we tend to think, well, that person will fight with me this way, this neighbor or this member of my kinship or this person I know well or I don't know. And we assume that we understand the heroic outside of ourselves and inside of ourselves. And the heroic is actually when the transcendental meets the reality. And often the people we think are going to be heroic are not and justify treachery for the sake of their own vanity. So when we study history, we study a history of successful heroes but we also study millions of places where we don't tell what actually happened in great heartbreak among the ordinary human beings, right? So an example would be, I was in France many years ago, <clears throat> and I have relatives in several areas down near Lourdes and up, up in, and near the Pyrenees and up in Alsace-Lorraine. And one of them was saying that the hardest challenge for many of the French and Belgians and Swiss and Austrians was that the world wars had happened all through them and among them. And now people went on as if there weren't all these betrayals. And they'd say, this one person who was a known criminal was deceased or killed. But this next door neighbor who had turned in all of the Jewish people in the neighborhood and stolen all of their fine possessions, never apologized it or felt remorse about it, was very difficult to live beside. Mm -hmm. And that that for them was the shadow of Europe, because it was never reconciled. And they knew that that neighbor was essentially dangerous, period, to anybody. 
but their own power and greed. Uh, those are my words, power and greed. They're just an easy way to reduce it right out there. And so if you watch a person who becomes a master of Tai Chi or Aikido or medicine or artistry, music, painting, literature, they are listening to something numinous, <clears throat> luminosity, light, and, and sound, listening and sensing that is numinous, can be named, can be named, it can be brought to a reality physically. And they embody that principle. And then if they apply it in life, they become heroic. And it's kind of for the sake of the heroic in everyone. And then you'll find somebody who comes in and betrays that. And then we're all tricked by it. Everyone's betrayed by it, including the perpetrator. right? And they may think, I'll get away with it in this body. And somebody could say, well, I don't wish for their karma. And they'll think, oh, I'm still going to get away with it. And... You know, we know that they'll learn a lesson through it, but we don't know what that lesson will be. It could be a lesson they learn in a kind way. It doesn't mean they're going to be punished in how they learn the lesson. It could be mercifully learned. So <clears throat> what happens with the Rocky Shoals is if we think that a war is coming or a very fallen time, our essential place of protecting and defining uh, uh, like a compassionate and higher, clearer, noble path, virtuous path in ourselves and for the sake of all our loved ones, from your, from your past horses to, to Bob in heaven, to your, your kids and their, their children, you're, you're going, where am I needed? My strength, <clears throat> my virtue, my sensitivity, my courage. And so we were at a point of whether we were going to go into a horrific time or whether we were going to come through that storm into what I'm talking about today. So yesterday I kind of addressed the storm because it was so close at hand. And I did it intentionally because I thought people all over the world have gone like, what is going on? And they would wake up in the morning and go, I am so tired and I have to go perform surgery this morning. And ask me, I, I have to go in and perform surgery on a really... A really difficult patient, okay, and I'm irritated with them. They'd be like, what's wrong with me? And then they might be just exhausted afterwards and then fine five hours later and make soup for their grandchildren and think, I don't know what's going on. <clears throat> and so the essential parts of us that are not temporal <clears throat> but are more what I would call eternal. So for however long the human being exists, the soul exists, the, the nature of God is sort of an infinite reality that is oceanic and so whatever that dimension that's oceanic is and whatever drop of the ocean each of us is <clears throat> and however we sustain knowledge of the vast infinite oneness and yet of the dewdrop we are and the pulsation of that the one the many each of us the one <clears throat> whatever that is it's always moving among us right so we will talk about something <clears throat> and i would be aware We'll hear something from someone's child or someone's friend. He'll bring up the same word or subject we were just using. And people will often ask more on a magical level, how did you do that or how did that happen? Not necessarily of me, but of anyone. How did you do that or how did that happen? And it's that the middle worlds, the worlds between heaven and earth, are a translation point. And then it moves in an oceanic way around us and through us all. And then we individually try to find a way to be the vase that's clear enough to represent that bouquet or that oceanic principle. So when we would move into a war, 
a certain segment of populace would intentionally cause a fall and then everybody is part of the fall. You don't get a choice. So it can be against your free will and yet it's done to you. And you're like, I didn't sign up for this. And the other people go, I don't care. I'm going to do this to you anyway. So for a being like me, I was able to go, you're not going to do this to all of us because I'm not going to let you. It was like a being a very strong mother or something. I went, no, I'm, I'm not going to do this. And then, you know, I was just pounded on the rocks of the shoals of the human race. And, and yet not. You know, my life is very beautiful. And <clears throat> I'll tell people, we'll go through the misery of what someone goes through. And then I go, as people sit and drink tea or have a beautiful sweater or jacket or a lovely home or garden or whatever. And so I'll say, boy, you know, we're really having a rough time, aren't we? We're not in the trenches with mustard gas. And we were able to prevent that through awareness and great love. Isn't that something? And so that would be the Tai Chi. That would be the force of everything. And then that which is the master of it doesn't have to move at all. The life itself is the whole planet, all of the forests of the world, all of the gardens of the world, the firmament, the sky, the rainfall. And they take the next breath and they turn, and Thich Nhat Hanh is a great teacher of that. They turn and move into the day, and they represent that blossom of the human race. Right, so that's what we're able to do now. So that for you as a mother or an elder or a grandmother or a friend, you get to do now. And you know, you're one of the most courageous women I know. And you get to be that. When it was very hard this spring, I told John, I said, Bob's around. You know, <coughs> Candace's former husband is the reincarnation of Hadrian, the emperor, who was very close to Marcus Aurelius. And... Um, you know, Candace would have been his wife, and, you know, there are these formidable, profound souls who've affected the entire human race, and he just started coming down around me, and I was aware, I said to John, something's going on where there, mankind is coming into a huge argument, and I went, Bob won't have it, and I thought, he's not going to leave me, and I thought, his strength is somehow needed, really, he did, he did not fail. But I'm not a good warrior. He's a great warrior. But he came down around me, and I thought, nothing's going to happen to me. You know? He and Candace won't stand for it. They have their grandchildren to take care of, right? And it's just so beautiful. But I needed to speak of it because people all over the world would go through a hard time and not understand why. You'd have a woman in Calcutta who'd be homeless and She'd be raped and she would be beaten and think, what did I do to deserve this? And were we not moving to a time where we entered such an argument of the shadow, she might have been saved by one of the Western groups that would have brought her into education. But for whatever reason, the extra $1,000 wasn't given that month because somebody was upset in L.A. at a garden party or in New York at a garden party, and I'm not trying to pick on them, I've lived in both places. And they just didn't feel like it, so there wasn't enough money for 10 more women, and so she was one of the women who remained on the street. And if we'd been a little more attentive eight months earlier, she might be in school learning how to 
become literate and work on a computer. So for a being like me, she'd be like a devotee of Sarga Devi, so I would feel her from India and just have a very hard time helping her because the resources of people all over the world were deciding, should we fall down? It's so thrilling and juicy to hate each other and rip each other to shreds. Isn't it great? And I go, no, not really. Isn't it interesting? No, it's about the most boring thing in the world when you could be paying attention to eternity and all of life and everything that's just so gorgeous. So I thought I have to address that fall because we, we started a great fall, you know, and parts of it go back into causations that are several hundred years old, but it would be the continuation of, you know, and then we go through this and then we fall and then we get up and then we sort of fall. So it was, it was just thick all over the world with passion of the intent to harm. There was a tremendous intent to harm. And then you'd watch it. It's like a, watching a, a, a boxing match. You'd watch somebody pull back the fist of their consciousness to see what could I do that's destructively harmful today. And if you thought, why are you doing that? They'd think, well, everybody's doing it, or why not? Or because I hate those people. And I would think it's just the stupidest thing in the world. You're just talking about yourself. It's just, you know, you're not in relationship to the old Plains Indian statement, Amatakuyasan, all my relations, all my relations, everywhere, always, in eternity. So into the future, eternity coming back to us to the present, and then all the way to the past, I go, that's where we pranam to each other, and we, and we have time come in. So when you go to eternity into the f and coming back to you from the future, you don't want anyone to disturb one breath of how you move forward into that in a perfection of heaven. And then you, that's your path. That would be your path. It's so beautiful. But I thought we needed to speak of how difficult it had been because, you know, people would think, why is this falling over here? And why is that person in my family or neighborhood being so vicious? And why is that director of this company being so greedy? Aren't they more intelligent than that? So <clears throat> humanity was sort of lining up for who they were going to fight. And then fundamentally, when that happens, the being tries to survive, not just physically, but on every level. So how could I survive? and have more and more and more and more and survive and then fight everybody to have more and more or be more self-important or more kind of greedy and you know it was like a like a putting up sandbags against reality and so <clears throat> coming into it was like like martial arts just constantly moving with transforming those karmas so people didn't fall into them it was like ah, get up and this get up and like trying to call awareness forward throughout the human race for people to get up. I would have days when I could barely stand up. There's a famous old story of Yogananda where he says he had a hard time walking for about six months. They had to put him in a wheelchair. People were very worried about him. He said, don't worry, I'm fine. I'm just in so many bodies. And so I told a friend who was worried about me, I'm not like Yogananda, I'm not really in people's bodies, whether that's what he meant or not. I mean, he was a guru, he would be sort of around his devotees in a specific way. I was more just out around everything, calling forward, you know, and not t calling forward humanity 
and not tolerating the places of falling going no you don't need to go that way and then I just sort of um, dissipate the 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 debris of the karmic uh, the karmas that we're trying to form right so when a person has a thought that comes forward negatively they create it like a punch and then they want somebody else to punch them back and then they go see what I created is real aren't I something right so there is in Hinduism I was thinking about this this morning as part of how to give this language there's an idea in Hinduism that there's creation sustenance and absorption right if things are created they're sustained and they're absorbed so when we have a baby born we have health occur it's not just the creation a great deal of the value of life is the sustaining capacity so all of our great saints are sustainers they may have other attributes but um, all of the beings we turn to as messianic figures forming the world's philosophical traditions are sustaining figures they show us not only is something created but how it is sustained without harmfulness is the moral example that they offer and then there comes the the space and time of letting that go letting that be absorbed so that, that would be called the Holy Spirit in the West but it would be Shiva in the, the aspects of Shiva and Parvati and in Hinduism and so Shiva's always on the mountaintop still and meditative and when he comes down it's hard for him to come out of his meditative consciousness and come down the mountain into the world and he's called to come down sometimes to absorb things back when we don't know how to finish a certain cycle of meaning so a great deal of what was happening with humanity is the attempt to create a future based on the power and greed of the past based on the failures of the past rather than the success of consciousness it's so interesting that we weren't intelligent enough to just know to turn to consciousness and understand that that was the answer to where we're going there are people who do understand that but the collective society was not uh, pointing was not steering in that direction and so because they weren't this great storm arose and we were crashing into the rocks of our own our own causation but fortunately enough consciousness is present in the entire human race for the the aspiration right, the directional alignment and aspiration and then the will to move in that manner and then to allow consciousness to rise through the human being and apply itself and then become love embodied so one of the hardest things was when we had the beings Hitler and Stalin and, and places of our own shadows of what we hadn't adequately brought into civilization globally. <clears throat> when those were very thick, you'd have somebody go, oh, I'd love a mansion. In fact, I'd like five of them, please, with 14 bathrooms in each one. And you'd go, what are you going to do with those all? And they'd be like, I have no idea, but I'll kill you and I'll have all the mansions. And you'd think, what is this moving through humanity that this distortion of righteous livelihood and possession is so out of balance and it was really a falling from grace manifesting through a modern um, sort of egocentric greed as the planet was calling out I'm burning the fish are dying 
awaken, awaken, awaken. Yeah, so, you know, I think now what will happen to many people who were falling into armies of fighting through the material plane. The battlefield this time would have been the, the whole material plane, the earth itself, so to speak, and all that it, that constitutes. People would have just fought over it and then been ashamed of themselves after they looked at what they had done. And <clears throat> But we had to be wise enough to move through that and realize that there was something more in a balanced way. You know, so each one of us, when we're gone from here, won't take any one item of the earth with us. Rather, we will go back into her. And what, who would we want to be as we go back into her? So, and let me go to a couple more questions and then I'll come back to how would we want to go back into her and how would we want to be, you know, when we're on her. But more questions about anything that we did? Bob, yeah. The rabbi that shared the information regarding mm -hmm. Jesus' father, is that information available to the general public in a form of a book or paper or nothing? Nowhere that I know of. It may be. It may be. This is Rabbi Dove Hoffman. He lives in Denver. He's in his 80s. His body is slowly having challenges with um, uh, some inherited aspects in his circulatory system and uh, gradual congestive heart failure. So you might just keep him and his wife and family. In your press, he teaches six or seven days a week. And he's gone to the Holy Land every year for probably almost 60 years. And he was a great outdoorsman, so he used to do a lot of mountain hiking and camping. And years ago, he took an Outward Bound group. He's done a lot of work in Colorado and up in Alberta and British Columbia, I think. And he was uh, up in the mountains and above Aspen in Colorado, and there's a huge bowl. It's like 5,000 or 10,000 acres. And there's a little monastery in it, a little Cistercian Trappist monastery. So he knocked at the door and asked them if he if they could camp there in the in the bowl outside the monastery. And who was there at the monastery? Father Thomas Keating. And so they met. And then they began a relationship of all the years of Father Keating's life. So he's been very involved in interfaith work for a long time. <clears throat> and so I'll ask him, is there any place? where it's available. And then just our bringing it forward in conversation brings it to a critical mass beyond any harm to Rabbi Hoffman or to me or to, I don't mean like in an important way, it just is, it diffuses the quality of it. And then we remember, oh, this is the man through whom we knew, where it had been passed from rabbi to rabbi to rabbi to wife to daughter to cousin, to priest, to me, to you. And then people go, how, how did we just not ever know that? Why didn't other people have that just be known? So we would know who our family is, how to take care of them, and break apart a huge shadow that affected or afflicted the whole human race. It's not that difficult, but we were just unable, for whatever reason, to do that. It would have changed the theologies of our Christian churches and traditions and integrated them 
in time in a different balance. And it would have changed the coffers, the, the treasure of the churches, so that a minister or priest or a woman holding a baby to be baptized or blessed would be unaware of how shall the material world of my church hold us. The interesting thing is, even if we thought we had all the treasure in the world for whatever faith we practice or whatever individual we are or family we come from, we never know the next day what will happen. An earthquake, a storm, a death, you know, we don't. So when we say, this is my stool, no one can have it, you know, it, it just becomes such a foolishness. But it's become a way that we identify how we uphold each other. Or you must be important. You know, you must be famous. Well, you must be something because you've accumulated this wealth at this level or this level. Or, well, you're just so insignificant. Or, I would have thought you could be so much more successful if you'd only done these things. We do this to each other all the time. I'll watch a young person do very well in something, and then they'll be asked by a college counselor, and what other service projects have you done this year? I think, oh my God, you're talking to a 16-year-old kid who's just poured their heart out to you, doing really well in school, they're great with their family, they've done a service project, they have three hobbies, they speak a second language and play a musical instrument. What more would you like from them? It's never good enough. You are just not good enough for me to interview today. I will be seeing at least eight other kids who are so much better than you because I work for a college that is better than the one your mother went to. I go, who are we becoming? See? So, <clears throat> did people who fell in grace know they had fallen in grace? Or did they simply become intoxicated? Mirror, mirror, on the wall, who's the fairest of them all? Who's the richest? Look at what I look like on this picture. Listen to what I sound like over here. We become intoxicated with a very strange level of the middle worlds. <clears throat> and because I have so much training in that, in that work, I just was able to regard it and be aware of, of the danger we were in and how rampant it was and where the world was going. And then I just <clears throat> consecutively withdrew parts of myself I'm not trying to talk about me for me. It's more many people around the world responding in different ways, trying to find their way through this last period of many years. So I simply withdrew myself more and more contemplatively, starting probably about 1995. And then I would be present with certain things and exceedingly contemplative. Like my, my attention was completely present, undisturbed, and then at this point over this spring, I, I just let it move. And I, I almost didn't live through what I went through with Hitler and Stalin. But I was an adequate mother or sister for them because they were willing to get up. See, I, I was studying the will of mankind. You can always, black magic or magic or a fall always happen when someone's will falls. It usually falls because they are so hurt. And Hitler was a Jew. He was not wanted. He was illegitimate. His mother was scorned. 
So he went, I'll show you. And he sure did, didn't he? I'll show you how wounded I am. Very hard to heal him. So I think this this movement we've gone through was um, just the quality of what people have become intoxicated thinking we are. This is like an intoxication with falling. So you may find places in yourself or people you know who went into very difficult spots. And um, I wouldn't carry anyone energetically. I would just in your heart and soul, call for them to do their own homework and then just practice virtue beside them. And then I'll ask Rabbi Hoffman and I'll ask around, but just start talking about it so deeply will probably be that all of a sudden one of us will go, oh my goodness, did you see what came forward? It's the name of this man who is said to be the father of Jesus. I go, well, there he is. But he's on the earth now, so that would be Trinley Dorje, and so part of our sacred family and so I'm sure that the meditative and um, sort of intricate work that he will do as one of the two Karmapas will be remarkable. Uh, the person who was Jesus' father would be here presently as a 34-35 year old Tibetan man. I think he's here in the U.S. right now and so that'll just come forward and then that place in him which would be accepted so that we bring him back in and you know so what is present in the person who was the father of Jesus what would that do to the being Jesus who's now turning 13 in Argentina as he grows to be a man it's like a thunderclap of two storm fronts meaning boom father and son does it lessen Gabriel no not at all does it lessen him being born of God not at all, really. We just go, oh, wow, something very, very mysterious happened. This boy came to us from God, announced by the Archangel Gabriel through Mary, apparently through this man, and they're here. Now what are we going to do? So there's no separation in the cells, in the blood, in the hearts, water into wine. And then if very traditional friends of mine will say, I just don't believe that. I just want to say my rosary the way I used to say it. And I want to believe that Jesus was conceived, you know, just directly by God. I go, it's okay. You, you turn to him, turn to Mary. You don't have to believe me. They don't have to turn from the way in which they were taught the tradition of prayer toward heaven. But there'll be a breaking apart of the places where it was utilized as a weapon. Because the weapon that was utilized was like a forgetting or a not allowing the, the real to express itself. And so with that in place, people could recapitulate their traditions of Buddhism or Hinduism or Christianity. And then when we cause and, and think and create something and sustain it and then let it be so it's absorbed, we can have a fulfillment of that flow or that weaving. I like to speak of it in those terms. I think it makes a lot of sense to the human personality. That flow or that weaving can go on undisturbed. Where it used to be where people go, what is that shadow out there? 
And I would go, well, part of it is the forgotten aspects we left out. We were sort of trying to build a holy family, leaving whole pieces out. And then we'd try to go around them, and somebody else would go around it a different way. And we apparently needed to recapitulate ourselves honorably enough that we could resolve into a oneness beyond warfare, and it required those shadows being brought in. Otherwise, I would never have talked about these things. I would have allowed them their privacy. Right? It would have just been quietly done in prayer. And it never would have been talked about. I did get in touch with an old Trappist monk um, who's in his 80s now and had a long Zoom conversation with him about a lot of this. And the monasteries are closed down, so... You, you know, I could go in and sit on a bench with him, but I couldn't go in. The, the chapel's closed, the monastery's closed. And so he was just completely present with me about it. I talked to him about Jesus being on the earth now, and I just was aware it needs to be that someone revered out in that world is present with all of this, so that as he takes his own very traditional faith, which he has studied intensely for seven for 68 years or something. He's been a monk for like 68 years. He goes into his practices, not believing me, but with my having honored him enough to bring that to his threshold and then letting him move forward. And once I did it, I could actually feel his strength quietly beside the child in Argentina. He asked me, did you know there's a Trappist monastery in Argentina? I said, I didn't know. So I knew in him was this rising up of a pillar and the rising up of the pillar of the Trappist men in Argentina and that they live in a great deal of silence so he didn't even need to talk to them about it. They'd just be entering their daily ritual. It's Benedictine ritual so it's very balanced of prayer and work and solitude and sort of artistic practice and meals and he would be in that and they would be in that and I go, oh, that's all around one now, that whole dimension of all of this is there. And Father Kitty knew about this. I talked with him deeply about this while he was still alive. I told him, if you were young enough to get on an airplane, the, I have one thing I'd like to ask of you. He asked me, is there anything that I could do for you? And I said, well, if you were young enough to get on an airplane, I would ask you to go down to Argentina and baptize this child. I said, however, he's already been baptized 2,000 years ago. So I said, when I held him, I had all the baptismal things with me, anointing oil. Look, and I said I just held him up to God and just offered him to God. Blaine was there with me. I said to Father Keating, but even though he's been baptized 2,000 years ago, if you could get on a plane, I would ask you to get on one and go down and baptize him or just hold him and bless him. And he just nodded. We were sitting looking out at the Rockies. At, at the monastery there, and it's now Mass St. Benedict's, and so water into wine, it was already done, mm -hmm. right? Well, what it's worse, he's got one of the best, Keating has one of the best books on meditation that I've yeah. come across from the Christian approach, but you can see the Buddhist strand mm -hmm. to it, but uh, Open Mind, Open Heart mm -hmm. by Thomas Keating, really, really mm -hmm. well done. Yeah. He was like 6'5", great big eagle of a man. Mm -hmm. Not heavy, but 
huge shoulders and to you know his posture and just his his willingness to receive to just receive mm -hmm. he and uh, two other priests uh, Father Menninger and um, I don't know why I can't think of the third one. And it come to me, there were, there were three of them who created what they called centering prayer. And they used different attributes they each had and challenges each of the three of them had to try to create a way to call people to a different balance of beingness and living and praying in our world. And um, Basil Pennington was the third one. And Pennington died some time ago, and then Father Keating a couple of years ago, and then Father Menninger just died at the Snowmass Monastery on Valentine's Day this year. Yeah. So without the three of them and what they did, I don't imagine we'd be sitting here talking about this today. But their lives were lived in a, in a not in isolation, but the privacy of the, of the very deep Trappist practice, deep silence and study and joyful contemplation not severe arduous but a disciplined joyful contemplation it's remarkable yeah and so he and father he and and, uh, and uh, rabbi hoffman were very close for probably 40 years almost 40 years mm -hmm. so if the heavens with these saintly men up there have anything to do with it and the name of this man is to be known from 2,000 years ago, it will be. But since he's here now, he's like a spiritual son to me. And so that he and Mary are all right now, and Jesus and all of the beings, I go, good. That holy family is all right. So then, what would it be for a Christian? They'll find a rebalancing of themselves. And their practices may change or not at all, but something is allowed that doesn't really have a shadow the way the noonday sun is, where there's just um, like the light is in balance. Yeah. So anything else? Sarla, yes. Yes. And the, mm -hmm. and the truth and the power yeah. of, uh, and transformative power for all the men mm -hmm. yeah. of those teachings. That shadow side that for so many people has been, you know, that's mm -hmm. the belief. To believe in those. Well, practices. and what people do is in any faith or any culture, people will have a belief that's a positive belief. Then they'll have a negation, and then they'll try to reconcile them. But if they can't find a way through it, 
They tend to feel they're in danger for their life or their well-being within the tribe, or they are afraid, I will fail God, and I will die and I will go to hell. I'll go to a bad place. I won't be able to... Being a virtuous person won't be enough. I will have failed my theology. And then it's very hard for them to find an answer beyond where the theology is defined. That's, that happens. So if you take um, the Immaculate Conception, I was talking with someone yesterday about certain ideas from Christianity, and I almost went to this place and I thought, maybe I should talk about this tomorrow. So it's, it's come up. When I was in college, I had a paper to write and I thought, oh, I'll write about the Immaculate Conception. It'll be interesting to research it. And I started researching it. I got so angry, I had to go call my parents. You know, and my mother was just sort of stunned. I said, did you know that the Immaculate Conception was illegally, it was illegally decided by a group of cardinals in the, it was like about 1850, 1848, 1850, somewhere in there. The, the then Pope, called a, a convention, convened a group of cardinals, and he didn't invite the cardinals he knew would disagree with them. And so the number of cardinals he invited was too little a number for there to be a vote. But they did it anyway. So they went, they're not going against my beliefs or rules. They completely went against their own rules and just pushed it through. And they made a declaration that when Mary was conceived, it was immaculate, not meaning it wasn't sexual, meaning she was not veiled, meaning she, she did not lose her remembrance or her relationship with heaven. It's a very interesting concept. And in Hinduism, there are a number of beings who are discussed as having been conceived and born that way. Okay, so, so I was conceived that way. So. It's, I'm not trying to compare myself to Mary, but it's interesting to have been conceived in that way. So was the Pope pointing us to a consciousness beyond the veiling we thought was somehow our original sin? Or we defined that way to try to define what is it that we forgot? We must have done something wrong so we can't remember heaven. So was he, in fact, trying to point us to a remembrance of something? And he did it through the figure of Mary, which draws us in a circle through the rosary that we don't tend to break. I was talking with someone about that at lunch, right? It's very effective to pray on a mala or a rosary because you form a circlet, and it, it, it's not possible to break the devotional mood of that. You just you can't break it. So it's a, it's a wonderful instrument of like a like an internal muscle of devotion to, to bring that forward so when this was decided then I, I wrote the whole paper about it i was just furious the whole time because i was aware that all catholics and and people of all other faiths or atheistic traditions or non-religiously based traditions have all had this idea of, well the immaculate conception is one of the precepts of the catholic church no it came in in the middle of the 19th century, and it was illegally decided. And other cardinals were furious. There were some who left being cardinals because they couldn't believe a decision that intense was made in such a treacherous way. It's fascinating. 
So does it lessen someone's devotion to Mary or to the idea of some alignment? So as I was present with this in deciding how to talk about it in this class, I was aware of the fact that my own experience of her is that as a 13-year-old girl, she never fell from that internal position of herself in God. She never let go of an alignment of herself within the divine. And through that is what the Pope was trying to name. Whatever that, however we want to call it, that's what he devised calling it, that state. So, you know, people will pray, Oh, Mary conceived without sin, pray for us who have recourse to thee. That's an old prayer that's said to her in that state. And so this quality from Fatima and Lourdes of her saying, I am the Immaculate Conception, right? Her stating that. And then there are disagreements in the church. At those events, the women didn't necessarily say they were Mary. <clears throat> so one of the women would say, the, the, they would call her Our Lady. Bernadette would say, she's the lady. And they'd say, you mean Mary? And she'd say, no, she's the lady. And so people have asked me, who was she? Who is that woman? Who, who is that woman? Is it Mary? It may well be. Is it some dimension of God just trying to show us a state of being that might be present in, I don't know who, Anandamayama, maybe? Anandamayama would say, from before I existed, I am the same, and now I am the same, and I'm ever into the annals of eternity, shall I ever be the same? And so a friend might say, you can't compare her to Mary. And I go, I'm not trying to compare her to Mary, but maybe they come from the same place of heavenly awareness and they, they come into humanity for, for a purpose. It's not a competition. So what is the nature of that remembrance? And so I think what will happen is people can be with not having to go into a reductionism where we destroy it, which is so popular in academics right now. We just sort of go in and annihilate everyone. In fact, when I, when I was working on my master's, this professor who's no longer alive said to me, and now you have to go in and write everything that's bad about him. I want you to rip him apart and show me how well you can do that for at least one to four chapters. And I said, I, I can't do that. You know, that's part of why I picked writing about him because there's not enough about him substantially to do. I said I could write about how angry he was when he was younger and for certain purposes and what his politics were, but, but I, I wouldn't do it. I refused to do it. And so, because there wasn't, that doesn't really exist in Thich Nhat Hanh. It was tragic to me that that's where that got caught. And uh, an old professor of mine said, the difficult, well, Houston Smith said, the difficulty right now is we've moved from the mid-80s into a reductionism where rather than good scholarship, we have people coming in and cutting apart good scholarship. They're, they're, they're being like critics rather than scholars. And he said if it happens in academia, it will move out into, this, into the general world and then we will have a real chaos in our culture of a lack of respect. And that's what we're in the middle of now. Yeah. So I think if you, if you go to the idea of the, the conception, there's some state Mary would have gone through of her experience, and then of God bringing this child to her. And 
than her staying in an experience of her own solitude in God with herself and with that child. And we seem to turn to that to try to know something about heaven and her and him and all of that. And then the resurrection, there may well be something that happened through the being Jesus that is very difficult to define in a linear way. But we know, I think it's the biggest earthquake that happened in those areas of the Middle East in like 80 years that happened within the minutes that he died on the cross. So this would be water into wine. Everything is in relationship. And then when we try to understand it, so we go, I get it, I understand this. I'm, I'm not sure that we are meant to. And then in the stories that talk about Jesus having a twin, if you go to Issa's grave in Himalayas, there are a pair of footprints outside in stone, and they have marks of a crucifixion on, on the tops of the arches of the feet. So scholars are trying to understand that. Is this the person who was crucified? Is it not? Is it sculpturally created to show the relationship? You know, what, what happened? Who is it? What occurred? So, but I think that you, I know two Christmases ago I came to go to a midnight service in Dallas, Texas, and the last one I had been at, maybe two years before that, had been packed, you know, there were people out in the vestibule and the aisles of the church and all these people, it was a, a Episcopal service with angels on the wall, it's called St. Michael's and All Angels, and there were like 12 uh, priests celebrating this and poinsettias everywhere, and I came in two years ago, and there must have been a hundred people in the church. But when I came into the vestibule and saw the head bishop, Anglican bishop, I was aware that he was upset. And I thought, is he all right? When I saw his face, I thought, I don't know him personally. I thought, is he all right? And when I came into the church body, I realized he was expecting 6,000 people, 5,000 people. There were like 180 people there, compared to two years before. Where, where were they? What had happened? So those people haven't necessarily turned away from studying the same principles the bishop was studying, but they're coming to try to find a different integrated answer. My hope would be that we don't have to destroy our traditions to find our future. Right? We don't have to destroy the United States or NATO or the British royalty or Westminster Abbey to know who we are. It would behoove us to integrate as we take eternity coming back to us and we go back to the past that we say, oh, what a wonderful place to go and hear a concert. What a wonderful place to gather and pray in a variety of beliefs, but honoring the water into wine and the beings who were Jesus, or Mary, or the Buddha, or Zoroaster. Yeah. So, and that's been hard for humanity to do. It wants to pick a fight and sort of tear everything down. But I'm hopeful because um, this answer that's present is pregnant with form, like with creation. So something's being created in the global civilization that humanity has to name and then sustain. 
So there'll be an architect who'll think of a certain building or you know, a composer or a, a writer who will be moved to create something very aspiring that's of what we're speaking. And then you'll go to the future and think, wow, that person somehow knew at this particular age that this should be done for the edification of the human race. And then people will maybe take it for granted, but utilize it as a sustaining body of how to live a healthy life on the earth. And then the philosophies will come in through the, what I was talking about with philosophers and physicists. They're trying to bring in this idea of the object and the, and the observer being one or being in relationship, right? So when we turn to something, it changes when we bring our attention to it. So let's say we come to something and we say, it's Mary. And we, we're not particularly spiritual. We go, I don't really believe anything about Mary. She was just a, a Jewish woman, maybe an Essene woman from a long time ago. So if we're callous about it, we actually affect the consciousness of who she is and who we are and who every woman who's ever been is. Right? We affect all women. But if we think, it's Mary. Apparently she was the mother of someone who formed a spiritual tradition. I wonder what she was like. We begin to pay attention to a living relationship with her. And we allow something in her and in ourselves to be in an infinity symbol of responsiveness. And then we begin to let heaven come to earth and live within her and within us. And then what we do know and don't know about her history or our own is enough to find a respectful way to represent human life going forward. So if we could do that with all of the women of all of the spiritual traditions that we know of, and all of the men of all the spiritual traditions that we know of, we can form a civilization that has a place for reverence and prayer and practice ritual, artistry, law, monetary systems, education, and the nature of it would be like a perfumed life. It's beautiful. Mm -hmm. So, um, you can boil it down to saying, um, you can still see this being, Jesus, Yes. Yeshua, yes. Yes. Even if they didn't come from some magical process, yes. if they came through, great. We it, can still mm -hmm. see him, Jesus, Yeshua, yes. as divine, learn from him, love him, mm -hmm. even if he didn't magically, you know, completely overcome death, because we all mm -hmm. think we all overcome death in some form or another. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and it just doesn't take the magic, which the church has emphasized so much, so that people will believe. Mm -hmm. And places where occurrences did happen, let's say that um, we know there are people who could see who weren't able to. Yes, we can still believe in. The we know his 
cousin Lazarus. Lazarus was his first cousin. Lazarus and Mary Magdalene and Martha were siblings. They lived in the southwest corner of the Sea of Galilee in a little town called Magdala, then called Magdala. And I think it's now called Tiberius. And so what happened? So however he came down, what you could say is he came down through every level of attention that exists. And if something happened against Mary's will, and we held that separate and split, he's been bearing that for 2,000 years too. So something then, rather than saying, oh, I came down from the celestial world, it was a blast, it's really easy. You go, no, he came down through every component of consciousness. And so did the man who was his father. Boy, what, went the, what must that have been like for them? So Stephen Levine used to teach a concept that I've talked about many times. He would say, we are hurt and we come forward in life, we're innocent, and we put our hand out. And we think, oh, this friend will come and take my hand. He said, and then we go through something where the friend comes up and they don't just not take our hand, they hit it. They don't just hit it hard, they hit it as hard as they can. And we think, why did you do that? We don't understand why they did it, and it hurts. And the friend might yell at us or tell us off or tell us, I could do whatever I want. And our, the stinging of our hand resolves and we go on. And then the next time we see that friend, when we come out to meet them, we might not bring it out as carefully or as easily. We might be more careful, but when we bring it out and think, well, now, now you're welcome.